Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Together for Equality podcast, a podcast created to provide insights and sharing ideas on how to build an inclusive and equal society, be better professionals, and build greater organizations. My name is Angelina, and I'm currently doing my master's in finance at Catholica Lisbon after working as a business consultant for a few years. In today's episode, we will talk about gender bias in natural language. To talk with us about this, I'm really excited to introduce to you my guest today, Anna Richter. Anna is joining us all the way from Montreal in Canada, where she's working in a team trying to improve exactly this topic at the renowned Mila Quebec AI Institute. A very warm welcome to you, and thank you for being here with us today. Hi, Angelina. Good morning from my side. It's still morning here. I'm very happy to be here and look forward to record this podcast with you. Well, good afternoon from Lisbon. Um, so I, I invited you here because I know that you have plenty of insights to provide in the matter of psychology, computer science, artificial intelligence. But of course, I will let you introduce yourself first. So yeah, Anna, what can you tell us about yourself today? Yes, well, first of all, as you know, I'm from Germany, like you too. <laughs> Maybe we should mention this just to explain my accent a bit. <laughs> yeah, so um, what about me? I did study cognitive science, which is a degree that's quite rare in Germany. There are only two places where you can study it. And the reason why I wanted to start this degree was at first because part of it is, is psychology, linguistics and philosophy. But when studying it, I realized after a time that because I had to do the foundations of mathematics, computer science and artificial intelligence too, because they were all a part of cognitive science. And I realized after some time that I'm actually quite good at programming and I enjoy doing it. So yes, this is what drew me into the more techie side, the computer science AI side. And I'm just really fascinated what AI can do, what it can be used for, um, and what cool products or cool applications it can do. So right now, um, after finishing my master's in cognitive science, I joined Mila, which is the world's largest AI research institute, and work there in the team AI for Humanity. And in particular, I work on Project Biasly, which is a project that aims to tackle gender bias in language. So this fits very well with our topic today. Yes, I could not think of a more perfect guest to invite for our month uh, where we talk about gender equality. And I'm particularly curious about all the insight that you can also provide to us on the artificial intelligence side of this. But before deep diving into today's topic, I would like to start with a little ritual. Um, at the end of each podcast episode, our guest asks a question related to equality in our next, to our next guest. On the last episode, we spoke to Beatrice about LGBTQA plus representation, and they left you the following question. In 10 years, how would you like people to tell your story? That's a very good question. Um, right now, I'm reading a very nice book. It's called Indian in the Cabinet by Jody Wilson-Raybould the first indigenous woman in the higher politics in Canada. And um, that really inspires me. And she talks a lot about staying true to your values and your principles. And that's something I would like to, um, that people tell my story that I am a person 
uh, to stays true to her values, true to my values and my principles, and that I will um, always have continued to speak up for things that I deem to be right, even though some others might not like this. In particular, some others in power. You know it. <laughs> so what about you? Oh, yes. Well, first of all, I like to say that I've known you for quite a few years and I can say that you're already embodying what you're telling me right now. But also uh, for me, I think uh, one of the main things that I strive to be and I look for in persons is kindness. And so I hope that in 10 years, people remember me for, for that. But thank you very much for that really cool answer. I might need to look into that book. <laughs> so now uh, to get back on, on the topic why we're here today. I would maybe ask you first to, to describe to us in, in words that maybe even I would understand as, as a non-coxie, uh, what are gender bias in natural language? Well, I think the best example to give a good impression of what gender bias is, is a quite recent um, campaign in London that was um, produced for the uh, International Women's Day. And they were putting ads, big um, ads, ads everywhere around in the subway and at other places where they would say in very bold sentences like imagine a ceo and then in small letters beneath it would say is it a man and then even smaller underneath it would say and now imagine a world where gender makes no difference I really like this campaign because it's it's very true it catches you in the moment where you imagine the world in a gendered way and um, so it, it's really good to make people aware of the gender bias they have and that's something really important because mo if most people if you would ask them do you think that you're biased or do you even consider yourself as a sexist everybody would say no of course not I'm no sexist but the problem is that this gender bias is often super implicit and very unconscious people cannot even be aware that they have it because they never actively decided to be gender biased, for example. But the problem is, even though it's super unconscious and implicit, it has consequences in the real world. For example, you could do this example instead of a CEO, you could say, imagine a programmer. Is it a man? Probably yes. So that yes. was actually something that um, that was holding me quite a bit back when I first thought about what I would want to study. I never considered to study programming because I just this was something that men would do, right? <laughs> um, it was unconsciously in my mind that in order to be a programmer, you probably will be a man. So only because I joined cognitive science for other the other part subdisciplines of it like psychology or philosophy only because of that I was forced to do computer science and then only realized that I could actually be good in programming and good in AI so yes this unconscious bias has real world consequences even on me personally I can say and so your question was about gender bias and natural language and the interesting part when you look at gender bias from a language perspective is that through the language, because language is written down in many cases, for example, it allows you to measure this subconscious bias because it will be expressed throughout the language a person uses. And in, 
nowadays when we have um, artificial intelligence, huge databases and the internet um, to look at not society, like all German speakers, for example, or all English speakers, we can get insights and look into the bias, not just from, from one person, but across a whole society. Wow, that is quite interesting. I'm a little blown away by the, uh, of course, the immense dimension that this can take. I mean, recently was brought to my attention just associations of, I think it's adjectives that can have on, on gender. Of course, if you think of a CEO or of a programmer, I think it's male, but oftentimes also if you think of somebody who's strong, you think of a male. If you think of somebody who's caring, you think of a woman. And uh, yeah, what an effect that can have on on whole societies, on ways people act is, yeah, mind-blowing in my mind. But uh, maybe, yeah, since you're, you've quite done a lot of research, uh, what is the most interesting factor, the most interesting fact, something that maybe blew your mind that you have learned so far? Yes, as you have right uh, noted, you ha there are some adjectives that are generally um, seen as more masculine or more feminine by society, but how does that come? And when, uh, when I studied systematically language and did like um, an analysis of very, very big corpora, which means very, very big um, bodies of text. For example, you could look at all of Wikipedia at once or all books that have ever been published at once. And there you will find patterns in the language. And to cite a famous linguist, John Rupert Firth, he said in 1957 already, you shall know a word by the company it keeps. So that means the meaning of words or the connotation that we have is influenced by the surrounding context in which you, words are frequently used. For example, if you would look at the word, pro, uh, at the word programmer, we have been talking before. Um, if you would scrape the whole internet, so look at search the whole internet and find all text snippets where the word programmer appears and then you would look at maybe the five words in front of and the five words after programmer or maybe three words already is enough in scientific terms we call this context around the words the collocations and if you would do this collocation analysis of the word programmer, you would most likely find words like senior or machine or strong or lead, but most of all, you would find the word he in the collocations. So just by how it has been used in the past, this shapes the way a word is perceived now. And this can change over time. If you would do the same collocation analysis and only use words um, from the last century, when programming was very new, and as you might know, in the beginning, programming was a female task that women would do. If you would do this collocation anal analysis from data from this time, you would find that actually it would be much more associated with female words like she or kind or whatever, um, whatever other words are generally seen by society as more female. So this was something that I found super interesting. And you can actually study how words change their meaning over time by means of computational linguistics. And um, yes, and as I said, in the word, uh, for the word programmer, 
if you would look at other words, um, at the words in the collocation analysis, like the senior machine is strong, those words, if you would do a collocation analysis again on them, you would not land to fe feminine attributed words. Um, it's, you have to be very flexible in your mind to land at the end at something more feminine. If you're a young girl, for example, thinking about what you what to study, it's not that easy to find a collocation um, that would find a context of the word programmer that where you could see yourself in. Okay, thank you. I think the part that caught me most was, of course, programmer, um, but also then if you talk about lead, senior, uh, these type of attributes, because thinking about society, how many more men there are in, in leadership or senior positions, those are also some very, yeah, male attributed words. And uh, I think everybody can see the impacts of that in in a society, in, in our board of directors, in our CEOs, CFOs, and, and management teams. Definitely, definitely. But yes, I think um, I have one observation that was raised to me actually when we prepared this episode that we would like maybe to get your point of view on. So I think our society has, if I may say so, just crazily developed in, in various ways. Um, but our language has remained fairly unchanged over the past years. I mean, um, our grandparents don't speak much differently than we do now. But for example, my grandma doesn't use a cell phone or let alone a smartphone. So um, when we're using this bias language that you described earlier to now teach the algorithms that we use for artificial intelligence and the new type of technology, aren't we carrying this type of inequality that we described previously into our new era, this like technological era? Yes. Definitely, unfortunately. Um, I really stumbled across this, how strong this difference is when during my bachelor thesis, I worked for the first time with word embeddings. Word embeddings is a very cool technology I'm very fascinated about where an artificial intelligence learns the meaning of words by just being presented thousands and millions of sentences that humans had produced before. And by presenting these sentences, it will pick up patterns in the language. And in particular, if we think back about the collocation analysis, it will be very good at knowing what the context of a word is from the context around it, uh, what the meaning of a word is from the context around it. Yes, and the great thing is those word embeddings, they are actually, um, they are actually living in a vector space, mathematically speaking. So you would have maybe one corner where all animal words are located, if you would see it as three-dimensional, which I always do because it's helpful. But in fact, it's like 500-dimensional or 300-dimensional, not three-dimensional. But just for our imagination, we will have words, um, yeah, ex um, animal words in one corner of the vector space, and then maybe family words in another corner. But there are also relations between words. So you can ask the model, so how long and in which direction is the vector between man and woman, for example, or between cat and dog, or between female cat and male cat. Like um, in German, there are different words for them. Um, 
So you can do actually ask the model in mathematical terms, what is the difference in meaning between two words? And there's a funny thing you can do is to measure the distance um, between pairs of words. So what I did, as I have been working with the model, you must know that I don't like cooking myself, but I know that many women usually uh, like that society attributes cooking as a female duty still nowadays. So um, I was asking the model, um, how far is the distance? So how closely semantically related are the words man and cooking versus female uh, or woman and cooking? And now you can guess which distance was bigger. <laughs> I, I have I have a guess. Um... And yeah, I guess the men and cooking were much further apart. Exactly. Mathematical, mathematically, the model would say that women is much more related to cooking than men. And then I did this experiment for the word um, manager, actually. Um, and yeah, what would you guess? I'm guessing this time around that the women were further away. Exactly. And this is Actually, I found it a bit surprising how strong this was. I would have thought it would be like minimal differences because you would think a model should be kind of unbiased or it's just objective because it's technological. But no, because it was fed with a human produced data that was full of gender biases and other biases too, of course, the model itself was also biased. And this is something um, that is actually, I'm not sure if many people in normal society that are not experts in the field are very aware of this because up to today, people think all oh, technology that must be objective and neutral and we can trust it more than we can us humans. Um, but the problem is also that it's not just the models that are biased, but also that um, these biases and stereotypes that are embedded in the models will be distributed wherever the model is deployed. And since um, artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms scale very well, you might develop a model, for example, let's say in Germany, where you have the German stereotypes, but will apply it actually also for other countries, for example, Russia or some Af African other countries where this bias had not been there previously. For example, there is this very nice example in German, which is called Rabenmutter, which you would translate to Raven Mother. And that's a stereotype or yeah, a negative term for women that do work or do not um, stay at home with their children. This expression does not exist in any other language. But if we now use a machine learning model that was trained on this German data and this German stereotypes, and deploy it in other countries, those stereotypes might be propagated to new places where they have not been before. So yes, that's definitely a big problem that we have right now. And yeah, that I hope to work on. Well, maybe the one thing we can trust technology in is to tell us the harsh truth uh, about yeah, the reality we live in. Yeah. But now that we've talked about all this, um, all these negative things, all these, maybe these huge bridges that we still need to cross to be able to get to a truly equal society, 
I, I'm going to ask you a question that goes maybe in the other direction. So what makes you optimistic? I must say I still am optimistic because over the last few years I have seen in particular in Germany, great developments um, that people become more and more aware of the gender biases and also other biases they have and actively try to change it. In, in German, which is a gendered language, meaning that we wouldn't have just one word for programmer, but you would have two different words, one female form and one male form, programmierer and programmiererin. In the past, we used to always use only the male form if you would mean both of them. But this was, would in particular lead to the representation and the collocations in language that would reinforce the stereotype that programmers are always male. And since a few years ago in Germany, we started to not do this anymore, but instead say Programmiererinnen and Programmierer or Programmiererinnen, so gendered forms that include more um, both gender forms. And this is something that I see very positive and I can't wait to study this from a from an academic setting and look at how the collocation changes when you look at new data from the last few years where this change had happened in comparison to old data. And if there, for example, if my word embedding model would be trained on the new data, if there would still be this big difference um, between um, cooking man and cooking woman or cooking man, uh, manager man and manager woman. So this actually um, makes me very helpful, uh, hopeful. And yeah, I, I think that those development, this awareness of biases in particular in language will in the long term shift the imagination of people and the, uh, therefore they will produce more unbiased data that at the end, the machine learning models can learn off again. So I hope that we are on a positive way there. And for me personally, one part of it is also to um, help people become more aware of those gender biases they might implicitly or subconsciously have. And that's why I work now with my team on um, Project Biasly. I had quickly mentioned it before. So the goal of our project is to create and develop a misogyny detection tool. So just one particular form of gender bias, misogyny. Um, later on, we might uh, be able to uh, include more other biases, but right now we're working on misogyny. And the goal was to create an educational tool that you could, for example, just has a, have as a plugin for your browser. So whenever you're writing a text, it will make you aware of the implicit or subconscious biases that you might have. Yes, and we really hope that we can get this tool to work and this could be a great help to educate people about misogyny and um, yeah, create this change I'm hoping for. Okay, so I'm really waiting now patiently for the rollout of Biasly, but um, I read a, a report once that actually the German language is one of the most difficult ones to actually um, yeah, have, have gender equality with because it's just so gendered. Everything is gendered. And uh, also uh, the gender neutral form, the, yeah, let's say the English, they, them, we don't really have an equivalent for that in German. And 
yeah, I really, uh, of course, I also noticed the positive changes happening recently, but I think uh, it's great to hear it also from your side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it didn't make it easy for us with our language. <laughs> no, definitely not. So I think um, now that we've heard all the reasons to be pessimistic, but also that there are many reasons to be optimistic, um, I would like to pivot maybe a little bit from the topic of your research. And uh, yes, we've had a little bit similar experience because as I did, you're also working now in a field that tends to be not dominated by men, the field that's very techy, as you mentioned it before. So how has your experience there been so far? I think I was aware before, like theoretically, that this field is very male dominated. But luckily, and during cognitive science, during my studies, because it's not just computer science, but because we have also psychology, philosophy and linguistics in there and neurobiology, um, we had a pretty equal 50-50 gender distribution. So um, after finishing my degree, I was giving a presentation for the first time in a business context, um, a company specialized on artificial intelligence. And there were about 40 people in the room and there was exactly one other woman except of me. And that was really where I did see those statistics in real life. <laughs> and yeah, it is interesting. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes one questions oneself is if how much the others see one as the woman trademark, or if I can just be me and my strength and my abilities for programming and AI. What about you? What have you been, your experience has been so far? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't as much a, let's say, techie field uh, as you were, but it was in finance, which uh, is also still a majority men. Yes. I think I can speak about two different uh, experiences that I had. First of mm -hmm. all, I, I have to give a lot of credit to my supervisors who, um, yeah, encouraged me to be myself. And even though my style of, let's say, working was sometimes different from my male colleagues, they would still encourage me to pursue it, to be myself. And uh, yes, um, they wouldn't meddle in, in my work. So I had really That's the right opportunity to, to find my working style, to, um, to present in the way that I felt more comfortable, to have my maybe a little bit more personal approach than my male colleagues to our projects. Mm -hmm. And again we were all successful in in our work and i don't think i was ever penalized for for having this different approach the second way however was um in the client facing world where me as a younger woman maybe also always had the impression that i needed to maybe prove myself uh, to the mm -hmm. clients before i was taken seriously well Sometimes my male colleagues were just given the immediate respect and uh, yes. yeah, have to take that step first. But overall, I can credit my supervisors for allowing me to really find my power and find the way that working is successful for me. That's great to hear. But on another side, because I'm sure that I've definitely noticed it in myself, but have, have you ever noticed any of your own bias holding you back at work? Oh, yes, definitely. Just being a woman does not step, stop you from being sexist because you all have you also have grown up in a gender biased world. 
So yes, uh, what you just mentioned that um, your male colleagues were given a priori. So before even knowing them, given respect and assumed that they were uh, um, capable and good at what they are, uh, were trying to do. I see in myself that I have still have this bias uh, when it comes to programming. It is really funny and I, I really shouldn't have this, but still when I meet, um, meet a new colleague and it's a man, then I assume directly that he will be good at programming. And I have had it several or even better at programming that, uh, than myself without knowing anything about him. It's just an assumption I have for some reason. And I have had it several times that when getting to know that person better and then realizing that they were actually not as good at, at programming, actually pretty bad at programming or worse than me, I was kind of offended because I was like, I have assumed you to be good at programming, which is like completely unfair. Like, why would, why should I assume this? But um, yes, this is really something I'm aware of it, but still I have to very work, work very hard against it. And um, yeah, need to keep telling myself, I can be a good programmer. I am a good programmer. I know what I'm doing and I don't have to look like the standard male geek programmer, whatever, to be good at what I'm doing. But what really helps is here at Mila to meet many other great women who are incredibly smart, incredibly good at programming, but still um, yeah, living their feminine life and not um, yeah, finding their style and doing it on their way, like you have described before, maybe different than the male counterparts but um, very successful nonetheless. So yes, that's something that um, I really appreciate and learn from every single day. What about you? Well, now you're, you're throwing my questions back at me, but um, <laughs> I, I have to 100% agree. Being a woman does not absolve you of having any gender bias and maybe of also being unfair towards our male colleagues. Um, yes. <laughs> so I think uh, maybe uh, at least I dealt a lot more with uh, what we call imposter syndrome and uh, feeling yes. like, uh, oh, maybe I don't belong here. Uh, but I think uh, what you described, having, having women who are womanly uh, in leadership positions or in really techie roles um, can yes. actually be a chance and I feel like it, it can go beyond just women being womanly but just people doing things differently having also men that don't follow the stereotypical male leadership uh, roles women yes. who, who follow whatever they want as long as it's good as your job then um, yeah we shouldn't judge people and just first give them a shot uh, get to know them and then we can most utilize their strength and uh one more thing, yeah, please don't underestimate yourself as a woman, because um, I think we doubt ourselves three times over before we dare to do something that men oftentimes, and I don't try to generalize here, but oftentimes already tried to do it. This was also my experience at work. Yes. Yes, but same for you. <laughs> Believe in yourself. I think, uh, yeah, we're a little over a half an hour now, so I'll go to my last question. Uh, for this topic today and uh, I want to stay true to a motto of this club equality in business and therefore I want to ask you either from your research or from your own personal experience uh, maybe you can have one suggestion on how to improve gender equality in the workforce. Yes one topic that I'm personally very passionate about is that I would really love to see more women in computer science and AI 
I think it would be very good if these new developments, which will be very big developments, we can already see this now, if they are also shaped by a feminine touch or by the female perspective, not just by a very certain group of white male um, people and their perspectives. And so I think in order to do this, we need to show women what great things technology can be used for. Um, for example, computer science for health applications. For drug discovery, we have a big project here at Mila where we used computer science to accelerate um, drug discovery and creating better drugs for new diseases like COVID, for example. Um, but it can also be applications like analyzing data to better understand climate change, which is super necessary. The climate scientists need to have good models in order to know what actions actually help to reduce the climate change. Um, or it can be also um, other things like apps, uh, apps that solve everyday problems. For example, I have a um, former colleague from my studies, Nora von Breitenbach. She is developing now um, a, an app called Quouch, and that's, um, that's a couch surfing application, but for queer people, where you can say that you only want to have queer hosts and um, to make the experience in couchsurfing more inclusive, more um, better suited for, for women or for non-binary um, people. So what I want to say is you do not need to love math or computers in order to be a good computer scientist or in order for you that you should choose to be a computer scientist or AI specialist that can it is absolutely sufficient to have a great idea or an idea for a solution for a problem that we have in our world and computers programming artificial intelligence can be just means to an end means to generate solutions for the most pressing problems in our world today so yes that's what i hope um, that we will get more women into computer science and ai Okay, that's, yeah, uh, that's a great point. And yeah, I always say to myself, oh, I hate computers, I hate programming. And I just took my first programming class. And maybe I also uh, have now been, been caught by the, by the programming bug. Yes, please do so. You don't have to love it. It is super useful. And just think about what you could do with it. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll have to think about that. Um, I think one last point that uh, came to my attention in regards to natural longitude and also business was that uh, job uh, postings were um, formulated often in a way that they would always attract the type of person that was already working in the position. So if you advertise a manager position, you would have characteristics like a, a lead a leadership position words uh, or, or manage words that we previously heard were often attributed to to men and not exactly. to women and yeah. therefore the applications that came in were uh, yeah they, they were mostly the the carbon copies the clones of the people that were already working in those positions i've yeah. seen more and more job advertisement job postings that say in the end like uh we we want to appeal to person of all genders, persons of all um, uh, types of uh, work with this position. So please apply, even if you don't feel 100% talked to with this job posting. But I think there's a lot more work to be done there. And maybe, exactly. yeah, 
to make sure that we have the role models, the female, the maybe different people in the positions uh, that can be a good first step just to start at the beginning at the job yeah. posting to get the diverse people in the door. Definitely. I would totally agree. I have seen this many times. And um, for example, when advertising for a job for bro as a programmer, you can either put words like independent and um, efficient, or you can words use words like um, communicative and empathetic. Those are both strengths that you need to have. It's just how you phrase it, how you frame it in the job advertisement that will make a huge difference. So yes, um, people that write those job advertisements have more responsibility than just putting a star in the end. Please apply if you don't feel um, if, if you don't feel seen. You, they have the responsibility to make people feel seen. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, um, we are now reaching the end of, of this, this podcast episode. Uh, we've had so many great insights and, and knowledge shared. But before we say goodbye to you, Anna, um, can you please uh, take part in our ritual? Um, I'll ask yeah. you to give me a question that you would like to see answered by our next podcast guest, like you did at the beginning. Yes. So the question I would like to see answered is, in which way will you take responsibility to improve equality in your everyday life? Wow, what a great, great question. Um, I'll be curious to hear what the next guest has to say about it. And uh, with that, I, I thank you so very much for your valuable insight. It was an incredible pleasure to having you here with us today. Yes, thank you so much too. It was a really nice discussion with you. It's always fun. And yes, those are topics I really, that are very dear to my heart. So it's always great to be able to talk about them. Well, we could really feel that today. So thank you. And to our guests, uh, feel free to reach out to us on social media accounts. You'll find us under the name Equality in Business on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. We look forward to talking to you in two weeks. And until then, have fun and stay curious.